This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for leading each one of us, for guiding each one of us, for life, health, and strength. And that this morning, Lord, we woke up in our right minds. And that as we gather together this morning, that we can rationally, intelligently look at this subject. We pray, Lord, most importantly for your spirit to lead us as we do, to fill each one of our hearts and to, I pray, grant me the words to say as well. In your name I ask, amen. When God says no, there's a quotation I just want to read that we read yesterday as we began the, um, the presentation, which says this, when persons yield their will in perfect submission to the will of God, and their spirit is what? Humble and teachable, the Lord will do what? He will correct them by his spirit and lead them into safe paths. I believe that's what we want as a, each one of you coming here. You want to be led into safe paths, amen? And so it says there, when our spirit is humble and teachable, and the Lord will correct us, and he will lead us into safe paths. There's a couple of things we've looked at already in this seminar, just to recap from a, maybe a different angle, uh, that in one of the ways in order to follow God's will, there was the prerequisite, which was a pure heart, and a desire to follow what God, what God reveals to us. And also we must obey God's known will in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Notice here. If they act directly contrary in almost every aspect to the will of God and are found in carelessness, in levity, in selfishness, in ambition and pride, corrupting their way before the Lord... How can he give them another outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? So if we're just living our life as we please, it says contrary in almost every aspect. And it says uh, in carelessness, levity, selfishness, ambition, and pride, all these things, it says, prevent God pouring out his Spirit upon us. And that's what we want, do we not? The Spirit to be poured out upon us. Well, yesterday in the last presentation, we looked at, uh, Josephine did the presentation on, um, I forget the exact title, what was the exact title? Guesswork. How many of you like guesswork? Maybe not. But we looked at some of the ways of knowing God's will, just put a few of them, it's not extensive. If you were here, uh, one of the ways is to reflect, another one was to seek for counsel, to study, to pray. These were some of the ways that God has given us outlined in his word and the spirit of prophecy so we are not just guessworking and it's not just like a lottery as to what God's will is for our lives. So the subject of when God says no, how many of you feel, or know rather, that there are decisions in your life or, or, or times when you have come to make a decision where you have wanted to go one way and God said Clearly, no. How many of you, you're nodding your heads, when God said no, it was, let's use a couple of descriptions. Frustrating, 
disturbing even, maybe even made you a little bit angry. And made you question whether the no was from God. You know what I'm talking about. You know, we live in a church climate where we have a lot of cliches, do we not? Like, hi sister, how are you? Doing very well. Church was blessing, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, I could, we could just keep going back and forth for 10 minutes, just throwing cliche after cliche to each other, you know? The Lord poured his spirit out. He did. I believe he did. I do. Did you go on outreach yesterday? Was it a blessing? It was. See, I'm just playing around here. <laughs> you know? One of the cliches we have in church is, the Lord opened the door for me. Do we not? So we pray, and if you know, we're praying for a job and we get the job, we say, in church, I just want to testify, the Lord opened the door for me. Right? Praying about going to school and which school to go to, and you apply to five and you, uh, you, know, you get a response back from just one, the Lord opened the door for me to go to Southern. We use that terminology, right? Equally, though, we often use this terminology, God closed the door. But it's when God closes the door, that's when we start to question, was the prayer answered? When the door's opened, oh, the Lord answered my prayers. But when he closes the door, it's like, oh, I don't even know if my prayer was answered. Maybe I should have prayed longer, harder. Maybe I should have been more passionate about my prayers. I read about these people that cry when they pray, and I never do, you know. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. And so when the, the door is closed, we find it hard to sometimes see God's will. And we wonder if our prayer has been answered as the door is slammed shut. It seems. I believe God, for different reasons, may say no. But there are biblical precedents as God saying no that we're going to look at a few of them and glean some understanding from. Because not everyone in the Bible, God always just keeps opening doors. He closes doors many times. Can you all hear me back there? No? At the back, can you hear me? You can. Good. If you can't hear me, come closer. Amen? There's still a few seats here. In Psalm 37, verse 23, the Bible says, The steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered. Ordered. The original language here kind of indicates that they are set or they are fixed by the Lord. Which sounds encouraging. If I'm a good man, the Lord will do what? Order my steps. But I believe there's a uh, kind of a condition to that, and that is as part of our prayers in Matthew 6 verse 10, as Jesus prayed in the Lord's prayer, as he taught us to pray, he said, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. And so in our prayers, there's always that part of praying for God's will in our life. Yes, we believe that the steps of us, if we are good, are ordered by the Lord. He will guide and direct us, but we must continue to pray for God's will to be done in our lives. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Numbers chapter 
Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And here we have the story of Moses. Moses. You know what happened in Numbers chapter 12? I like this passage of scripture. In Numbers chapter 12, Moses gets married. Do you know who he married? That's right. Where was Zipporah from? She was Ethiopia, Ethiopian. He marries an Ethiopian woman. Was his sister happy that he married an Ethiopian? No. She got very angry, did she not? Got very angry that he had married an Ethiopian woman. And she expressed her displeasure uh, to Moses. Okay? Now, as you read on through the chapter, the Bible says there in verse 10, Notice in verse 10, God was angry at Moses and Aaron. And what does he do to um, Miriam? Sorry, Miriam and Aaron. In verse 10, it says, The cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was what? Leprous. Had leprosy. Now, leprosy is a very dreadful disease. So Moses' sister has leprosy because she was expressing her displeasure at whatever Moses had done. So what does Moses do? Verse 13, as it says on the screen or following your Bibles, and Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her, what? Now, O God, I beseech thee. Now remember, has God answered Moses' prayers before, yes or no? I mean, this is the same Moses that stands in front of the Red Sea, holds out a stick, and the waters part. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's why I believe the Bible says Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Because most of us, if we did that in our spiritual journey, we wouldn't be able to cope with the spiritual pride that would come with it. Okay, I just, (laughs) you know. Moses held out his stick, parted the sea, Moses prayed there in Israel. His people, you know, left, sorry, he prayed there in Egypt. The Israelites left Egypt. He had led them up until this point. And now he says, I beseech thee, O God, heal her now. He had gone answer his prayer. No, he didn't. He did not answer the specifics of the prayer, which was heal her now. The Bible says in verse 15, what happened to her? Miriam was shut out of the camp for seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. So he prayed for her immediate healing, but she wasn't healed then. God said, no, no, she's going to stay outside the camp till as long as I say so. I think some of us can relate to this, that sometimes when we pray for healing for our friends or relatives, Oftentimes, we always ask God for an immediate healing because that's what we want. Lord, heal sister so-and-so. Heal mother, grandma, brother, sister now, and I'm claiming it in the name of Jesus. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I remember I was at GYC in 2007. If any of you were there in Minneapolis, any of you there? A few of you? 
Do you remember what one, one interesting thing that happened there? Alistair, that's right. Alistair Huang, who was part of the Ecom executive committee at the time, he, I saw him on the, um, the Tuesday or the Wednesday, just walking around, hey, how you doing? I think the next morning he woke up, couldn't move, just like paralyzed almost on his bed. Had enough energy to tell someone that something was going wrong with his body. Called the ambulance, called the hospital, I forget all the details, but he was in hospital, basically in a coma almost. And I remember Mark Finley came and stood on the stage and was talking about this as, as people had heard about it, you know, the, the, the talking goes round. And I remember him saying, we, we do not pray that he is healed now. He said, it is the will of God to heal him. Amen? The question is, when does God do the healing? I remember saying what we should really pray for is that through the healing or the illness, God is glorified. Therefore, if it glorifies God to heal him immediately, sometimes God does that, does he not? However, if it glorifies the Lord to heal them gradually over a year, maybe God does that. Sometimes, though, God chooses not to heal them immediately or gradually, and he won't heal them until the resurrection. So the prayers will be answered, just not this side of eternity. And sometimes we have a hard time grasping that. But sometimes God needs to allow either the person or us to go through those situations for whatever it may do to our own character. But God says, I will be glorified. Moses prayed for Miriam's healing. Heal her now, O God. She was shut out from the camp for seven days. You know, as a pastor, I've had that time, you know, when you're called by family members to go and pray in the hospital. And sometimes you... You wonder sometimes why you're praying, if that sounds okay. Because sometimes they're calling me to the bedside of someone who's 97 years old, you know, is literally on death's dying door, saying, Pastor, pray that she'll be healed completely. And I don't know, you know what I mean? Sometimes I'm thinking, well, they've lived their life. It's, you should be praying that they'll just be right with the Lord and... You know, sometimes our prayers maybe are sometimes even unrealistic or selfish. But we'll get to that maybe at the end. Notice in 2 Samuel, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. What did David do that was very wrong? What's the most thing he's famous for? Bathsheba. He saw a woman on the roof and he said, ah, I like her. He takes her. Sleeps with her, she conceives a child, and so you know the story. He put the husband on the battle lines at the front where he knew he would get killed, and then he thought all was well. But the prophet Nathan came to him, and he told him the story about the lambs and so on, and David said, oh, that's terrible. And he says, you are the man. You are the man. Now you come down to verse 14 in chapter 12. This is right after the parable of the ewe lamb, and David is, uh, you know, confronted. Verse 13, not the one on the screen, verse 13. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How many of you say amen? Amen. Verse 14 though, how be it? So he says to David, the Lord has forgiven your sin. You won't die. How be it, he says, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born unto you shall surely die. Harsh, eh? God says, that child is going to die. You will live, but the child shall die. Now you can imagine, how many of you are fathers or mothers in here? You can imagine if you're told your child is going to die, what are you going to do then? What's the first thing you're going to do? Pray. So what does David do? Verse 16. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in, and lay how long? All night on the earth. So is David consecrated to the Lord? Oh yeah. He's like praying all night. He's fasting. He's praying. He's laying all night before the Lord in, in prayer. What happened to his prayers? Verse 18. It came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. He fasts. He prays all night. child still dies. It's like God said to him, no. Told you this. David prays to try and almost change the mind of God. God says, uh-uh. Child's still going to die. And the Bible says, on the seventh day, the child died. Not only did that happen, but if you go back to verse 10 of the same chapter, it said, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. And if you follow the story of David onwards in the book of 2 Samuel, I think it was four of his sons died by the sword. The text came to pass in spite of David's prayers. Now, all of the reasons why you'd have to study all those out in greater detail to understand the whys and the wherefores and all that, I'm only reading these texts almost partially, just to show David here prays for something, and what? God says, no. God says, no. But what was the eventual outcome? If you look at the bigger picture. Miriam was eventually what? Healed. And David lost his son, but what happened to him in Bathsheba later on? They had another one, and they called him Solomon, and Solomon means beloved of God. So there was an element of restoration that still came about in both situations, even though to those prayers, God said no. Part of the reason for this is that we have to understand that God dwells in the past, the present, and the future. And unfortunately, as finite human beings, we only dwell in one, which is the present. And that all too often clouds, in a sense, our worldview or the way we see things, and we can only see the here and now. Yes, I know we partially look into the future, and I understand we do look back and reflect, but ultimately we really only dwell in the present. Whereas God sees the end from the 
beginning. He sees the whole picture. And so it may be that when God says no, he's not always saying no. He may just be saying a not now. But we interpret it immediately as it is a no to me now. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, just a few pages previous. The life of David, something else happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 12. David had noble intentions here. 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. The Bible says, So David went and brought, this is the end of the verse, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedium into the city of David with gladness. What does this tell us about David? He was a devout man, he was a religious man here in his life. And the Bible says he brought the ark of God from the house into the city of David with gladness. So David is here kind of building some, you know, putting a temporary place for the uh, house of, uh, as the house of God. He is a religious, a devout man, encouraging worship there in Jerusalem, all noble traits of character. So then you come to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. Well, let's go to verse 1 and 2. So it came to pass that when the king sat in his house, David, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the house of God dwells in curtains. You understand the dilemma? So I'm living in a nice big house, but the ark of God is still surrounded by curtains. He said, I want to build a house for the ark. Noble intention, yes or no? So what does Nathan say to him? It's very interesting, very interesting. verse 3. Nathan said to the king, go do all in your heart, the Lord is with you. And this situation, I believe, can resonate with many of us as well. Here God says, or the prophet says to him, go and do all that's in your heart, the Lord is with you. But then, you go to verse 24 to 29, we don't have time to read all of them. So he wants to build the house of God. The prophet says, go build it. The Lord is with you. And then verse 4, it says, And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Shall thou build me a house, and house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I was brought up from the children of Israel out of Egypt into this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. As you go on reading through the whole chapter, what happens? God tells him, no. It's almost like, well, it is like God did a 360, 180. He did a revolution, amen? He turned around. Did yep, nope, can't build it anymore. Would this have been frustrating for David? I mean, can you picture yourself in David's shoes? I mean, many, maybe you, I mean, if you apply this to your local level, apply this to your lives, here David wants to do something for God. It may be that he, if we apply it to our local context or your local context, you say, I want to go and plant a church in the new part of the city that I live in. And maybe you go and see your head pastor and say, hey, let's go plant a church there. I'm willing to, you know, I've got some training at GYC. I want to go plant a church. 
And the pastor says, yeah, great idea. No problem. Go for it. Two weeks later, he comes back to you and says, you know what, Brother Jay? Yeah. I think we need to put a hold on those plans for a moment. And you just spent two weeks planning and preparing and drawing up your charts and your, your PowerPoint presentations and this, this, this. And now it's like, yeah, put a hold on it. And to you, it makes no sense. Or maybe like David wanted to build a house of the Lord. You say, I want to go on a mission trip next summer, this place. The church says, yeah, you can go. Your parents say you can go. Everything seems fine. You seem to be going forward. And then something happens. Your parents change their mind. Your church doesn't give you the money they promised to give you. And it seems like the whole plans change. It's almost like David. David, build the house. Go build it. Now, you can't build it. There was a reason why David can't build it. That was a very, you know, rational reason, so to speak. That sometimes we don't always see the reason immediately as to why God is saying no at that time in our life. The same thing with relationships, right? You think this is the one? And it appears like the doors have opened. You know what I'm saying? Then later down the line, God says, "Uh uh-uh. You know, but it looked like you opened that door then. You said to me, I need to find someone who is Christian. I went more than that. I found an Adventist. An Adventist who went to GYC. <laughs> Doing well now, you know. Didn't just go there, but he was at morning worship too. He went on outreach, and he had a testimony as well. You know? Lord, that's the door opening. That's all the green light I need. Life was only so simple, eh? And you're walking down this road like here, like this aisle, clear path. And somewhere along the way, bang, you get a red light. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. And you can't understand it at the time. But you know what they say in life? Hindsight is always 20-20. You all understand that phrase? No? Yeah? 2020 is clear vision. When you're looking back, your vision's always clear. As you're looking back and seeing what would or could have happened, like, man, if I'd married him, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know? If I'd married her, Lord have mercy. <laughs> you know? You know what time does? No. <laughs> you know, I had a girlfriend once. 
you want to switch the recording off? <laughs> we were going out, even came to GYC together, praise the Lord, several years ago. Together for quite a few years as well. And if we were to draw charts on paper, it would look like bang, bang, match, match, match. You know, Adventist, Adventist, mission-minded, mission-minded. Yeah, that, that. You know, all these things together. Personality-wise, great, everything cool. But yet there was red flags in both of our minds in both our minds. And she would say, I'm not sure because of this reason, this reason, and this reason. But I would kind of just be like, hmm. Because even though I had some red flags in my mind, maybe because I am stubborn, or maybe because I am a proud man, I don't know. I wouldn't really be honest to my own red flags. And so I'd be like, yeah, mm -hmm. but you know, that, 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 that thing can change and, and that thing can change and you're not seeing that one clearly and you're not seeing that one clearly either. If you could only see it like this, then bang, everything's going to be fine. Well, we never ended up getting together. And I look back now, in hindsight, and I think that I think it was probably the best thing. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, she's gone on and done a whole disaster with life. She hasn't. Very good life. Good, strong Adventist still, mission-minded, all the others. It wasn't like if, you know, we got together, it would have been doom and destruction and all that stuff. But I just know that I don't think I'd be where I am today in life or in ministry if we were together. But at the time, I wasn't really, you know. Some men, I think, maybe struggle with this more because every man doesn't like to. What's the term you use here in America when someone finishes with you? Dumped. You use that term. Dumped. Even the term sounds bad, doesn't it? I mean, I got dumped, like, ah! I think no man wants to be the one who gets dumped, you know? And I often think a lot of men stay in relationships just out of pure pride. And may end up still getting married or staying with someone just because they may not be humble enough to own up that maybe it's not the right thing. And all too often relationships get pushed through anyway and it's not to say that you're going to both end up in doom and destruction, but it may not be exactly all that God planned for you. You know? It may not be. So, God sometimes says no, and you don't know why he says no. And it's not always even revealed clearly afterwards. And it's not always that the no option is always a really terrible option. It's just not top-notch, you know? David wanted to build the temple, but he couldn't build the temple. He was told not to build the temple. 
in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 3, it says this, Thou shalt not build the house for my name, because thou hast been a what? You've been a man of war, you've shed blood. So even though David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 6 brings the ark of God to the city of David, and even though in chapter 7 verse 1 and 2 he says, I want to build the house, and then Nathan says, go build it, it's later on that the prophet says, you can't build it. Why? Because you have been a man of war and you have shed blood. That could be referring to not just general blood, it could be referring in particular to the blood of Uriah the Hittite. And therefore he says, you cannot, even though I have forgiven you, you cannot build the house of God. Now the question is, how did David react to this? And this I think is key. Because how many of you, when God has said no, get very angry? Or stubborn and keep driving ahead with what you're going to do anyway? David could have said, so what? I'm going to go build it anyway. But when God said no to David, how did he respond to God? The Bible says, the Bible says, if I turn there, is it 2 Chronicles? 1 Chronicles chapter 28. How did David respond when God said no? How does David react? 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I think it is. And from verses 10 to 19. Verse 10, the Bible says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and when? Ever. So even though David is told no by God, he is given the reason for the no, like sometimes we get, and once he gets the no, he reacts by saying, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you come down to verse 19, and verse 19 says there, And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart, to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build a palace for the which I have made a provision. So David says, hey, praise the Lord, but bless my son. And verse 28 says he died in old age, full of age, days, riches, honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his stead. I mean, that's a very noble way to respond to God when he says no, is it not? Sometimes it's our wrong ideas that lead to wrong thinking. See, we think as human beings, you know, that if I'm strong, I'm going to win all my battles, right? We think if I'm sick, if I pray and have faith, I will be healed. Sometimes we think if there's no answers to my prayers, it's because I simply haven't been praying hard enough. Because my children are misbehaving, it's because I'm not disciplining them enough. And we always think that the answer to what we're doing, the answer to our problem, is to do more of what we think we should do. That's not always the case. By title of our presentation, because sometimes God says, no. Notice here, are you writing that down? <laughs> Go back later. Ecclesiastes 9 in the break. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 and 12. Notice this verse here. And please write this one down. It says, under the sun, dot, 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 dot. It says, the race is not to the swift, 
nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all, for man also does not know his time. There is a time span that God works on, and there is a time span that we sometimes live our lives on. Ideally, the two of them should be together. But oftentimes, they're not, and we're sometimes out of sync with God's timeline, with our timeline. It says there, though, in the text, time and chance happen to them all. But God, for man, does not know his time. Time and chance comes from a word, pega, meaning impact. Meaning life-changing events that have an impact for good or bad, they happen to us all. And God knows the timing of them. God knows the timing of them. Jesus, when he was on the cross, no, before he was on the cross, what did he pray? He said, let this cup pass from me. Did God answer his prayer, yes or no? God didn't answer his prayer. He, the cup did not pass from me. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Not the literal cup, meaning I don't want to go to the cross. And he didn't pray it once, he prayed it twice, he prayed it three times. He says, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. God didn't answer that part of his prayer. Partly because he said at the end of that, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So even though that was his wish and his desire, he said, I don't want to go to the cross. Let it pass from me. The reason why that part wasn't answered was because his will was in perfect submission to God and he said, not mine, but yours be done. So God didn't answer that part of his prayer. You know the reason why I believe God didn't answer that part of his prayer? That prayer is because God knows best. Because if that prayer of Jesus, let this cup pass from me, had been answered... Where would you be today? Where would I be today? Where would any of us be today? There would be no salvation. Let this cup pass me. Okay, come back to heaven. All right, no problem. You've lived a perfect life. Come back to heaven. Enjoy heaven. Have a good time. And if that's all Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. And God said, okay. You've asked me three times. Third time lucky. Come back to heaven. Done. You and I, would be lost forever. So God didn't answer that prayer because Jesus also said, not mine but your will, and also because God knows what is best. And God knew, even though Jesus was asking for that, in the heat of the moment, I believe he really knew that, you know, in the depths of the heart of Jesus, that wasn't what he wanted. How many of you have been in a situation where you verbally said you want something, but really when you rationally think about it, you don't really want that? You know, when the dust has settled and the heat's gone and the temperature drops, you're like, hmm, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for dealing with me in such a way. There's another passage of Scripture as well. It's in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 to 10. What time do we have? We have 10 minutes left. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. You may have heard it quoted many times in church. Maybe you haven't. 
2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. Paul here prays a prayer. And it may be a prayer that you have prayed as well. The Bible says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted. It's fancy English to say Paul had some type of deficiency, something that held him back. He felt from doing better ministry or living a better life, and he says, Lord, take it from me. How many times did he pray? Three times. We don't know what it is. I don't believe the Bible reveals what it is, and neither do I believe the spirit of prophecy spells it out. So it would probably be wrong of me to say what some people think it is. We really don't know what it is. Some type of physical deficiency, maybe. So he prays that this is removed. And it may be sometimes you've prayed things like this to God as well. Verse 8, for this thing I sought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So three times he asked for this to go. And verse 9 says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer and take it away. He says, okay, this time I'm simply going to say my grace is enough for you. Why? Excuse me. Why? For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had something wrong with him. He wanted it taken away, that he could be more effective in life and in ministry, etc., etc., etc. And God said, I'm not taking it away. You're going to keep it. And my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. I mean, you may have something in your life that you feel, if only God would take that away from me, I could be so much more efficient for him. You know? Now, I'm not talking here about bad character traits or things like that. You know, if you've got a bad temper and you fly off the handle at like one second notice, that's not good. God could take your passion, amen, use that for him, but your temper needs to be taken away. So it's not saying everything bad with you here. That's, no, 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 that's what I'm saying. But sometimes there are things that we feel, ah, if only that was, situation was changed. If only that was taken away. He says, my grace is sufficient. That's why more in part the prayer wasn't answered as he wanted it. And my power is perfected in weakness. There's a couple of things I'm just going to, go through before we close this part of the presentation. Haven't got time to go all these in detail, but some of the reasons why I think God sometimes says no to our prayers. Other reasons. And there's text or there's things to back up all of these, but for the sake of time, we haven't got time to go through all of them. One reason why our prayers may not be answered is we may have sin in our lives. What does the Bible say? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will what? Now hear me. It could be that if we get a yes to our prayer, it would bring harm we don't foresee. And because we can't see that, God says, no. 
Hindsight, though, is always 2020. It may be that God has something better in store for us. When Mary and Martha said to Jesus, pray for Lazarus to be healed. God was like, yeah. Jesus was like, yeah, whatever. What was better in store that God had? He was going to resurrect him from the dead. It may be that we're praying for a yes when it's impossible. Or severely or highly unlikely. It may be a praying for things already determined. You know? Husband and wife get together, conceive. Wife is pregnant. It's not at that time you start praying that it's a boy instead of a girl. You know, it's, it's going to be whatever it's going to be, you know? You can't change it, you know? We may think it's a no when really we have no answer as yet. And God is saying, please just be a bit more patient and please just wait. It may be that a no from God is not a rejection, but it is a redirection. He wants us to shift course and go a slightly different path. It may be that a no from God is not a punishment, but a preparation. And that through whatever situation we're going through, we are being prepared for something later in our lives that we know not of yet. It could be that the no brings greater glory to God. And it could be that the no opens up an adventure that we have not yet seen with God. There was something Elijah prayed for. I don't know the exact details, and he didn't really get the answer that he wanted. But what happened afterwards? Chariots of fire came down from heaven, and up he went to glory. You know? In hindsight, I guess he's quite happy that he didn't get what he asked for. You know? And he got the adventure of going up to heaven a long time early. There are different reasons why God may say no. But remember the quotation we looked at the beginning. When our spirit is humble and what? Teachable. When we submit our will to the Lord, he will guide us in all safe paths. Amen? We'll bow our heads for prayer. Then there's going to be a short announcement, so please don't get up straight away. Then there'll be a five-minute break. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, we pause for a moment and we want to thank you that even when sometimes it seems like the path is not clear or has come to a full stop, Lord, by faith we want to say, Lord, we know you do have a plan for our lives. Sometimes the no we don't understand at the time. But Lord, we thank you that you see the end from the beginning. You are Alpha and Omega. And Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. Bless each one of us here, Lord. You know each one of our individual situations. You know the burdens that rest on our heart. You know the things that each one of us are praying for right now or the things that are the desires of our heart. 
And I pray, Lord, for each individual situation represented by each person or family in this auditorium. Lord, I pray in a special way that you would come close to each one of us and that you would truly answer the prayers of our hearts and lead us, Lord, in the way you'd have us go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wait one second, please. I want to introduce a good friend of mine. He has, to, has a few short announcements to make. This is Pastor Don McIntosh. How many of you know him? A few of you? He was one of my mentors, one of my teachers. I owe a lot to him. He's taught me a lot of things in ministry and life and everything like that. And he just has a few things he's going to share. Were you blessed by the presentation? When God says no, there's another chapter that uh, Pastor Ramna may not have mentioned, and thank you for the time, and that is Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 starts out with a group of people that are attending GYC. They're fasting. They're afflicting their souls. They're doing everything that looks right. They've got all the seminar notes. They've filled out all of their GYC books. And then as they're doing all those things, they ask the question, why are we doing all this and you're not answering? Why are you saying no? It's interesting to me that Isaiah 58 starts with a picture of the Day of Atonement people. Who are the Day of Atonement people? Who are the Day of Atonement people? And it ends with a picture of a Sabbath people. Who are the Sabbath people? So whose chapter is, is this, 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 this chapter directed at? But still God's saying no to the Day of Atonement people and the Sabbath people. Why is he saying no? <clears throat> In the middle of the chapter, it says because they're not doing medical missionary work. They're not doing medical missionary work. You know what Ellen White said? She said that the loud rain had begun to fall on this church. The Holy Spirit had begun to fall. And Jesus was about to come. But then something happened. The worst evil, would you hold that phone? The worst evil came upon the church. You know what the worst evil was? Medical missionaries not working with gospel missionaries. Dr. Kellogg not working with the ministers and the ministers not working with them. And some believe on the basis of Isaiah 58, and I'm one of them, that God is still waiting for those two branches to come back together so he can give a green light to his church and they can receive the latter rain. How many of you want the church to receive the latter rain? God has said no, but how many of you want him to say yes? So a friend of mine has written a book based on a quote from Ellen White called Reversing the Worst Evil. What kind of evil? And the worst evil, Ellen White says, is the splitting of those two apart. And that's why God says no. But he wants to say disozo instead of no. And sozo is the Greek word for health and the word for salvation. I sent this manuscript to Elder Wilson of the church last week. 
He read it. He told me, I think the book needs to be read by every pastor and every doctor in the Adventist church. I sent the book to someone else, a physician friend of mine. He said, I think every person at GYC needs to read the book. And so he paid for you guys to have a copy of the book. You say praise God for that? So, just remember, there's no revolution in the book of Acts without the right arm ministry. No one would have listened to Jesus if there hadn't been a resurrection, which was the ultimate health miracle. How many of you would be interested in this book? Okay, a few of you. I have about, I think, 1,500 left. I brought 2,500. And you can come by or you can come by and fill out a sheet here and we'll get you a copy of the book. I'm at the Weimar booth, the health school. And, uh, but we'll have these flyers available to you. And I have some here if you want to fill it out in advance. And then come by and get a copy of the book. It's time for God to say yes. Amen. Okay, you can come and fill out or go to the booth, the Weimar booth. We'll take a five-minute break, and then we're going to go on with detours and redemption. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.